Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So it's an old English children's rhyme, really a proverb. Uh, it's, um, historians trace it back to at least the mid-1800s, and I think you've heard it before. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words will never hurt me. Could there be a more unbiblical statement. Words will never hurt me. Proverbs says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our tongues have power. The power to tear down and the power to build up. The power to hurt and the power to heal. The power of hell and the power of heaven. Words are easy to say and hard to take back. Our lips can drip with poison, or they can drip with medicine. Last weekend, James um, preached to us about the image of God in man, how every person is made in the image of God. And and so that's why I found the, the quote that's in your reflection section of your bulletin from Ray Ortland so helpful. He says there, the fact that we speak at all is an obvious sign that God made us. God uses words. Animals do not use words. Words mark us as human in the image of God. Like God, we use words to create trust and form relationships and build community. But unlike God, we use words to destroy trust and break relationships and divide community. Like God, we use words for one heart to touch another heart at a deep level. But unlike God, we use words for one heart to break another heart at a deep level. We read uh, the passage on the tongue from from James 3 for our confession. It says there, um, uh, talks about the tongue, but we skipped verse 1. Verse 1 of that passage says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That verse haunts me at night. It haunts me every time I stand up here to speak, because every time I stand up here, all I have are words. (laughs) Words are funny. A couple months ago, I was um, preaching on a verse from Colossians 3, where Paul says, um, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Only when I said it, it came out singing psalms and hymns and spiritual thongs. (laughs) Yeah. There's just no recovering from something like that. You just skip to the benediction and, and get out, right? Um, 
words. Oh, how I wish that was the worst thing I've ever said with my mouth. I wish that was the worst thing. That would be great. Words have power. And like seeds, they take root in us and others, and they bear fruit, either good fruit or bad fruit, deadly fruit or life-giving fruit. So we need wisdom for our words, and we need God to help us, to give us that wisdom, and he's given us his word, especially the Proverbs. So take your sermon outline, and I want to frame um, our thoughts this morning under four headings, okay? Death, life, heart, Jesus, okay? Four words to talk about words. Death, life, heart, Jesus, okay? So first, death. Deadly words, killer words. Um, Look at some of the language that Proverbs uses to talk about our words. The mouth of a fool brings ruin near. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. The mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Uh, One of my favorite ones that I read this week was Proverbs 18, verses 6 through 7. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. (laughs) Walking into a fight. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Ruin, destruction, evil, a snare, deadly words. And they're deadly not just for others, but for oneself, right? As the saying goes, you can't play with fire and not be burned. So Proverbs talks about many specific kinds of deadly words. Uh, I want to highlight just a a few. What, What would be examples of deadly words in our speech? One is harshness. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, a harsh word stirs up anger. Uh, I struggle with this, especially with my children, being too harsh, um, being too hard, uh, being um, domineering, uh, harsh with your words uh, instead of gracious. Harshness is an example of deadly words. But so is lying. Proverbs says, a dishonest man spreads strife. A lying tongue hates its victims. A false witness will not go unpunished. And he who breathes out lies will not escape. When was the last time you lied? This is an interesting exercise. When was the last time you lied? Well, according to one study, in a 10-minute conversation, we tell an average of 3.3 lies. That's one lie every three minutes. Um, Another study concluded that we are lied to in one way, shape, or form about 200 times a day. Lying is interesting to me because it's one of the big ten. It's one of the commandments. Do not lie. And yet I don't think we treat it as big. And maybe that's because we, uh, we downplay it. The words we use to describe lying, stretching the truth, fibbing, sugarcoating. But Adam and Eve sinned because of a lie. Satan is called the father of lies. Um, Adam and Eve, when, when they sinned, tried to cover up their sin by lying, and humanity has been lying ever since. And so we have generations upon generations of death. Lying is a deadly use of our words. 
So is slander and gossip. Proverbs says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. 1628 says, a whisperer separates close friends. It's interesting in Proverbs how it correlates slandering, gossiping with whispering, calls the gossiping person a whisperer. Why is that? Because we all intuitively know that when we're gossiping about something, we're, we shouldn't be. And so we, we whisper. Maybe, maybe we won't be found out. Um, Proverbs says the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. You know that. When you hear some juicy news, it's like delicious morsels. You just have to, you have to take it in and then give it away, share it find somebody to tell. And, uh, and then 2620 is a really cool proverb. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. You know that, right? You make campfires. You just stop feeding it with wood. The, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. I was part of a church one time where there was a person in that church um, I found out had a nickname. This person's nickname was the mouth. <laughs> and uh, this person um, used their mouth uh, very voraciously, could not be trusted with information, gossiped, hurt people very deeply with their words. And when they left the church, ultimately, honestly, not too many people were upset. The wood had been taken away from the fire. Um, slander and gossip are deadly speech. Uh, and then one that really surprised me, I was, as I was looking through the Proverbs and studying them and, and looking for examples of deadly speech, one that I wasn't expecting to see um, was flattery. Flattery. Proverbs says, a flattering mouth works ruin. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then uh, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Why would flattery be so deadly? What is flattery? Flattery is really the opposite of genuine encouragement. Genuine encouragement seeks to build someone else up, to encourage them for their sake, for their good. Flattery seeks to do that for your sake, for your good. It's a self-centered version of encouragement, and that's why it's so deadly. Um, so, um, death. Death is in the power of the tongue, Proverbs says. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Um, when you use your words unthinkingly, thoughtlessly, rashly, uh, you just spew out words. They, they, uh, they're like razor blades flying out of our mouths right into the body of the other person. We have a, a phrase for this in English, we call them cutting remarks. And Proverbs says our, uh, our speech is like a scorching fire. We read in James, uh, James talked about how great a blaze is, great a fire is set from just this little spark, the tongue. And, and um, I thought about, I've always loved in the uh, book of Judges, um, 
the character of Samson, and he's a terrible character, but the things he does are just, to me, just funny. Like, um, so one time, uh, Samson, and he got angry at the Philistines, and so he took 300 foxes, and he took them by their tails and pairs and tied their tails together and then put torches between their tails and let the foxes loose into the Philistines' fields. And they went and they burned down all of the Philistines' grain. I mean, it's just funny to me, these foxes running around with fire between their tails. And yet, that's what our words do. We let our words out, and they run out and they just burn things to the ground. Um, There uh, was a woman in L.A. who committed suicide, and they found her note that she left behind, and it said two words. They said. They said. Words. The power of death is in our tongues. But second, so is life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The tongue of the wise brings healing. So what would be some examples of life-giving speech? How we use our words um, for the power of life. Well, Proverbs gives examples of that as well. One is gentleness. As opposed to harshness, a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs says, a soft answer turns away wrath. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. A gentle tongue, a gentle, a soft answer. Um, it's, it's like, uh, if you're going to throw a bowling ball at me, I'm going to respond by throwing back a, um, a cotton ball at you. A soft answer, a gentle tongue. Right, um, one that isn't uh, harsh or um, cruel, um, but one that is soft. That's what is life-giving to people. Um, another example of life-giving words is honest words, right? Honesty, as opposed to lying, being honest. Truthful lips endure forever. Proverbs says, "A faithful witness does not lie." And then I love this Proverbs. Proverb, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. We think that telling the truth, right, we, uh, we're just going to tell the truth. Well, Proverb says telling the truth shouldn't be like hitting someone with a sledgehammer. Telling the truth should be like kissing them on the lips. It's affectionate. It's gentle. It's intimate, right? That's what life-giving words look like when when they express honesty and truth. And then one that, um, uh, like flattery, surprised me uh, and uh, and I think is really good for us, is restraint. Life-giving words demonstrate restraint. Proverbs 10.19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is wise. The heart of the righteous, Proverbs says, ponders how to answer, stops and thinks, what should I say right now? Let me ponder that for a moment. 
Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. How different would Christians look in our culture if we just did this? If we just restrained our lips? Right? If instead of blurting out whatever we felt immediately, if instead of popping off on social media, we pondered. Right? We held ourselves back. Not everything that's thought should be said. Um, life. These are life-giving words. Life is in the power of the tongue. Gracious words, Proverbs says, are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Here's the thing about gracious words. Gracious words have disproportionate power. They have disproportionate power. To speak a gracious word is is like to to take 50 cents, to take two quarters, and as you go to to drop those two quarters into somebody's hand, it magically turns into a $100 bill. I think we would all say that that's a pretty good investment, right? and that's what gracious words are like. They have disproportionate power. They take so little to say, but they can have great power uh, in our lives. I think you've experienced this before. I've experienced this. I remember, you know, sitting on a park bench with my fiance, then now wife, um, and, and sharing with her things that I knew I needed to tell her before we got married and wondering if she would be done with me and she would have rightly uh, uh, she would have had the right to. She would have um, been fair for her to. But instead of receiving harshness, instead of receiving condemnation, I received grace. I received gracious words. And I'll never forget that moment. It's power in your life. And maybe you've had moments like that before where someone has spoken a gracious word to you um, it's been like a honeycomb, sweetness to your soul, health to your body. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we've looked at examples of both, but that's only half the proverb. Most proverbs are made up of, of two parallel lines, and they interpret one another. And so um, it reads, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Those who love it will eat its fruits. What is it? Those who love what? Well, the most natural reading is those who love the tongue. More specifically, those who love the power of the tongue for death will eat the fruits of death. And those who love the power of the tongue for life will eat the fruits of life. Um, What's this proverb saying? It's saying that our words reflect what we love. Our words reflect what we love, that there is a connection between our heart, between our affections, and our speech. I wonder if Jesus was thinking of this proverb when he said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth 
speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. It's out of the abundance of the heart. Right? Um, I have this tree in my backyard. I have an orange tree. It's been there for several years, and, uh, and it produces oranges, but I'm frustrated because they're not the same sweet oranges that I can buy at Publix. Uh, and as hard as I try, as, as, as much um, uh, stuff that I put on the tree to try to make these oranges better, I'm just not having any success. They're not really good for much, and so I have a solution for my problem. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Publix, and I'm going to buy a bunch of those sweet California oranges, and I'm going to um, bring them home, and I'm going to staple them to my orange tree. And, uh, and then I'm going to step back, and I'm going to look at my tree, and I'm going to say, yes, now I have a great orange tree. Now, what is the problem with my plan? The problem with my plan is I haven't fixed my orange tree. I've only fixed it on the outside, but I haven't fixed it at the root, on the inside. Um, and that's what Jesus is saying. That's what the Proverbs are saying, that the problem with our words won't be solved by communication tools and techniques. There must be something deeper. There must be something that, that goes down into our hearts. Isaiah when he stood before God and, and stood before his holiness, said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. What was Isaiah saying? He wasn't just confessing the sin of his mouth and stopping there. He was saying, I am a sinner deep down, deep down all the way into my heart. The lips just expose what's true deep down inside of me. And it's true of me and of all of my people. If we're honest, like Isaiah, we have to admit that we don't just use our tongues in a deadly way. We love to use them in a deadly way. We love it. It's in our hearts. Um, there's something wrong with our hearts. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But the Bible also says that when you become a Christian, when you've been converted, that the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart, takes away your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. And so a habitual use of deadly words means one of two things is true. Either you have a heart of stone, that is, you've never been converted, or you have a heart of flesh. Jesus has converted you, but there's still some calcified parts. There's still times when it acts like a heart of stone, when we use our words um, in deadly ways. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, J.A. Matir says, bitter words come from a bitter heart, critical words from a critical heart. Defamatory, unloving speech issues from a heart where the love of Jesus is a stranger. Proverbs 22.11 says, He who loves purity of heart, he who loves it, he who loves purity of heart, and he whose speech is gracious. If you just stop there and say, who qualifies for that? Who can say, I love purity of heart and my speech is gracious? Not me. 
But the proverb says, he who does that will have the king as his friend. I want the king. The king of the universe is my friend. Don't you want him as your friend? What do we do? What do we do? Well, whether you see, whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, the answer is the same. You run to Jesus. You run to Jesus. When you see the the disconnect between your heart and your mouth, when you see that you love deadly words, what do you do? You run to Jesus. We pray the prayer of David, right, where he prayed, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So God created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Proverbs chapter 8 describes wisdom, um, and it, it does so by, uh, in personification. Right? It personifies wisdom. It gives a, a, an example of a human uh, as the wisdom of God. And the question when you read Proverbs 8 is, what human does this? Here's what it says, Proverbs 8. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. What man has ever been able to say that? Only one. The God-man. I love in John 7 where it says that there was a division among the people over Jesus And some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. And the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like Jesus. Never harsh, always gentle, full of grace and truth speaking life wherever he went, all the way to the cross, where he refused to return the deadly words that were flung at him. And here's the good news of the gospel, that when we place our faith in Christ, then all of our sin with our words is placed on him, and all of his righteous speech is credited to us so that we are forgiven for our deadly words, so that we can be right with God. And we could stop there, and that would be good news, but it would also be incomplete, because the story of the gospel doesn't stop at the cross. Jesus was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. He's also the power of God. Jesus is alive. And he lives in us by the Holy Spirit. And so now we have his resurrection power. So what does that mean for our words? It means that not only does Jesus forgive us for our deadly words, but he also empowers us to speak life-giving words. He empowers us to speak life-giving words. And it means that the words that have been used against you Words that have hurt you, words that have labeled you, words that have seared into your memory, those words don't get to have power over you anymore because the power of the tongue is no match for the power of Jesus. 
The gospel is not just a therapy that allows you to go on functioning. It is the death-defeating, life-regenerating, new world-creating victory of God so that you can overcome. There's a movie called The King's Speech. And in that movie, it tells the story of King George VI. Uh, And um, uh, he struggled with a speech impediment from the time he was a little boy. The movie is set in the 1920s and 30s, right at the outset of World War II. Uh, It starts with George when he was still a prince. His whole life, he had struggled with his tongue because of a debilitating nervous stammer. As the prince, he was once asked to give a speech at Wimbledon for thousands of people, and uh, the result was he was humiliated and shamed. And so his wife Elizabeth I, knowing that there was the potential that he would become king one day, uh, tracked down an unconventional Australian speech therapist named Lionel Logue. They had tried other therapists before him, but Logue was different. Logue challenged and pushed George. He dug deep into issues that had haunted him since his childhood. He even refused to call the king George. He he, uh, he called him by his name, Bertie. And uh, over many years, George's improvement in his speech became integrally tied to his close relationship with his new friend. And, uh, and when George was called upon as King George, um, when Britain declared war on Germany, he had to deliver a live speech broadcast to the nation and to the world. And so he went into the radio room And George allowed only one person in the room with him, his friend Lionel Logue. And together, he gave a speech that roused a nation. Wouldn't it be awesome if you had a friend like that? Who despite all of your debilitating, stammering with your tongue, loved you, coached you, and was there with you gave you the power to be able to use your words for life instead of death. You do have a friend like that. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, um, help us. Help us. We know that our tongues have great power. And we want them to be used for life instead of death. So we ask for your forgiveness. We come to you to the cross for your cleansing, for how we've used our words. And we also look to you now as the resurrected, all-powerful one living inside of us to lead us in life-giving speech. Slowly, over time, but yes, Jesus, would you empower us so that we might honor you with our lips, so that the love that we receive from you might pour out of us to others. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.